everybody, and welcome back to East Screen, West Screen. This is show number 10 for Wednesday, October 14th, 2009. Once again, I'm Paul Fox. And this is Kevin, master of the film festival, Ma. Yes, and we are very fortunate today to be joined by Mr. Ross Chen from uh, lovehongkongfilm.com. Uh, Ross, welcome. Oh, hi. Hi. Yeah. So, uh, Ross, uh, this is, since this is your first time with us, um, would you like to sh- sort of share a little bit about yourself and your website and sort of how all that came to be? Um, there's really not that much to talk about. I, uh, on the website, I go by the name Kozo. Uh, so I, I do all the reviews for it. And uh, I started seven years ago, 2002. And it's just something that kind of snowballed beyond my control. Mm-hmm. And, and initially you started the site, you were living uh, stateside. You were living in California, is that correct? Mm, that's right, in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I started it mainly because I was jobless at the time. This is completely true. I had no job and nothing to do, so I just kind of built a website because, um, you know, I needed to do something to pass that time, and the job market was so horrendous. And uh, it just ended up that kind of stuck with me and got me to Hong Kong eventually. Mm. And And what was... What was sort of the main way you were getting access to um, Hong Kong cinema at that time? Were you getting them on on videos or DVDs, or were you watching them in cinemas? No, um, at that point, it was all pretty much DVDs. I was so fortunate because at that time in the Bay Area, there was still like one theater that occasionally showed a first-run Hong Kong film. Uh, I was able to see stuff like uh, Needing You, Running Out of Time, uh, The Mission, First Run. Um, the Con Man 2002, Wesley's Mysterious File. Yeah, I was very non discerning at that time. <laughs> Classics. Yeah, yeah I, I saw a lot of crap. Uh, <laughs> I saw the, the Lion Roars. Uh, I saw anything that went to that theater. All right, well, welcome, and we look forward to having some uh, discussion about some of the films we're going to be talking about today. But for now, let's jump over to some news. <laughs> The uh, first bit of news is the Hong Kong um, Hong Kong presence in some recent uh, film festival award series. Uh, first up is the Golden Horse Awards. Um, Kevin, what can you tell us about some of the nominations from this? Yeah, usually the Golden Horse Awards are really kind to Hong Kong films. Uh, for example, they gave Aaron the Best Actor Award, I think, two years in a row. Um, this year, uh, apparently, though they decided to change their minds and almost completely ignored Hong Kong films since they gave their most of their nominations to uh, director Clara Law's new movie, Like a Dream. Has anyone heard anything about this movie? I, I didn't even know she had a new movie out. I don't know anything about it. I just know, I think uh, Daniel Wu is one of the stars. Um, I, I had not heard about it at all until uh, the nominations, to be honest. The, where, right. where Where is this film based out of? I mean, it, it, was, it, was it filmed and shot and financed here in Hong Kong, or was this done overseas? Well, it seems like it's represented by a Hong Kong um, distribution company, but um, and of course Daniel Wu is in it, and Claire Law has worked in Hong Kong, Greater China area cinema before. But I, yeah, I, I didn't hear anything about this movie. It sort of just popped out of nowhere. Hmm. It happens frequently with the Golden Horse. They usually are like nominating things that no one has seen yet. Um, is is this a case of of uh, one of the things you were talking about last week, Kevin, where um, you know, they kind of sneak a film into a secret screening somewhere just to get 
eligible for something, even though the film itself may not be ready for the general public? Well, the Golden Horse itself is a film festival, so I'm wondering if the Golden Horse people just took it as a premiere of some kind or just served as a world premiere. And I have no idea what the eligibility for the Golden Horse Awards is, but so maybe unlike the other awards out there, they don't need to get theatrical distribution before the nominations. But uh, yeah. You remember, um, like, they've usually, like, really nominated films like Claustrophobia, um, Postmodern Life of My Aunt. Those were always, like, they had no theatrical play. Usually, at the most, they'd appear to, like, Toronto or something. Mm. And yet, they're already up for awards at the Golden Horse with really no theatrical play outside of uh, two fests. So, yeah, but at least Claustrophobia got a play in Hong Kong. So, we got eventually, eventually it did. Yeah, but it was, yeah, as I remember, it it was, like, uh, quite a while after. Um, it had gotten festival play that it got released in Hong Kong. It came out in February of 2009, but it uh, played fests last year. Yeah. So other nominations uh, also include No Predo City, which I think Ross like the the, the Leon Dai movie. I think yeah, yeah, the Leon Dai movie. had eight nominations. Uh, and then Cow, starring Ross's new favorite actor Wong Bo, got seven. And I'm all about Wong Bo. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, the closest thing to a major award nomination for a Hong Kong film went to Nick Chern for Best Actor and the Beast Stalker. Is this so? What happened this year? Was there any no? Was there just no good movies? No good actors? No good performances? Nothing good coming out of Hong Kong? What happened? Yeah, it's um, uh, I I mean, what would you nominate? I mean, given what we've seen since January, um. What what would you what would you what would you see going in there and winning something? Uh, maybe maybe, you know, something like Overheard or, um, um yeah, Redcliffe Two or even I think I like the Anhui movie enough that I think it deserved a few. Yeah, the Anhui movie is still really under the radar. It doesn't even have a, a DVD release, so it's a bit odd. Hmm. Um, no love for Johnny Toe. Um, accident isn't showing up. But I, if I'm reading this correctly, they do have uh, Zhang Ziyi. In for Forever Enthralled. Yeah, was it uh, that for seems, Best Supporting Actress, right? Yeah, and it's a bit bizarre, actually. Yeah, that seems. But kind that's of... this year's Aaron Kwok pick, the Young <laughs> uh nomination. It's just let's nominate the biggest star we have. Mm. Yeah. Um, I believe she also got nomination. I mean, it should be nominated elsewhere for this movie, right? I'm wondering. I think she has because you don't, you know, Zhang Ziyi. Yeah. Yeah. But I hope Neon Light didn't get nominated for. Oh, thank God he didn't. He didn't get nominated for Forever in the Dark. So that's no, no. Yeah. Actually, it's if you really look at the movies that did come out in Hong Kong this year, not a lot is really, not a lot is really worth the putting in the Golden Horse. I mean, well, well one thing is look at the film. Well, actually, completely forget I said this. But I was about to say that uh, look at the films that nominated. They're like all art films, but they nominated Crazy Racer. <laughs> which is not an art film. What I'm really surprised is that Redcliffe 2 got got shut off everything, even the technical awards. Was, was it because of matter that you know it's a, it's a it's a second part of a one of a, of a movie or wonder what were they thinking this year? The the Golden Horse Awards rarely make sense. After all, they did give Aaron Orr twice. <laughs> but they came to a census this year and not given for anything for murder. Yeah, yeah, which you know, thank God. But it could have happened. You know, last year, last year they were all over Ocean Flame, which is <laughs> completely bizarre. I don't know if either of you've seen it. It's very pretentious, and uh, yeah, it's. 
a little more um, logical this year would be the Asia Pacific Screen Awards. Um, I think they're in their second or third year this year. Uh, it's a committee that's based in Germany. Uh, this year they've given um, four, I think four nominations to City of Life and Death, a uh, fine movie if I would say so myself. Which, by the way, also was practically shut out at Golden Horse, which is also surprising because it's a perfectly respectable film. Yeah, and, and that's been, I mean, we were talking about that before, that's been taking up awards in other places as well. So it's surprising to see that uh, not having a presence here. And I'm just wondering if it's if it's more for political reasons than anything else because of maybe what some of the content is about. But, you know, they did nominate Cow, and that's the kind of film. <laughs> So it, it's hard to really, yeah, it's hard to predict, but you're right. The, some of the big China ones are, are gone. But, yeah, are there still any really, can we call any, any more respectable film awards in Asia that actually makes, has a consistency about making logical choices anymore? I think the lovehongkongfilm.com yeah. awards, definitely. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, of course. Absolutely. Yeah, those are, yeah, those guys are <laughs> most, they have their brains on their heads, I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. We, we always nominate uh, Joe Koo for something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have but, to. Yeah, it's well, a given. I can mean, come on. It's a given. Um, yeah, yeah, we give awards to Siu Fei. So we, we've got to show love Someone to Someone has the... to give an award to Siu Fei or else he would become discouraged and leave the industry. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, no, it turns out um, Iran's movie about Ellie got the most number of nominations. Uh, and again, uh, no nominations for any Hong Kong films, but Japan does have the most number of nominations uh, for films like um, Shio Sono for Best Director, uh, two animated feature nominations, and um, uh, Departures got a Best Screenplay nominations. But uh, yeah, it's they don't have much awards, so and they're still only in the second or third year, so I don't see it playing really. That what, huge what's present. up with no McDowell Awards? I mean, <laughs> well, I'm hoping it gets some love next year at the Hong Kong Film Awards. It, it'll be up for the best animated feature. You think so? At the Hong Kong Film Awards. At the Hong Kong Film Awards. Well, you the know, only animated how many feature. animated features are there? Exactly. I mean, they'll be, they'll have to, you know, maybe cut out some of the CG sequences from Storm Riders just to compete with it. <laughs> and it's worth noting that, yes, the Golden Horse Awards this year did. Um, drop their best animated feature award. Yeah. Because oh. so, normally they have one. If you visit the site, it says this year that award is absentee. I'm sure they don't want to give one to Pleasant Goat and, and Big Big Wolf or something. But it's got a goat. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't have a panda like McDo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you know, Panda McDougal didn't get anything either. So. Uh, which, oh well. which again makes me wonder if it's if it's you know if it's something to do with politics because of, you know, taking place or a good part, good portion of the film taking place in the mainland. Um, but, but then why did they, uh, why did they uh, diss Hong Kong? I mean, what does Taiwan have against Hong Kong recently? Oh, it's a matter of just Taiwan is now also turning to China. So just everyone is turning to China. They don't even turn to each other. They just all turn to China. Um, by the way, um, on IMDb, they say that Like a Dream is a Taiwan production. Really? Yeah, so that would mean that of the five nominees for Best Picture, you're looking at three Taiwan, two China. Hmm. I'm sure Taiwanese people are very proud in that case. All right, well, let's move on and talk a little bit about the upcoming opening festival, which opens tomorrow. That is the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival. 
which means that uh, both Kevin and Ross are going to be quite busy for the next few weeks in seeing films. Anything? I feel sleepy already. <laughs> anything that yeah, you guys would want to recommend? Um, you know, as I, I know that uh, I'm I'm currently planning to only see one film, and I haven't even bought the ticket because the theater's still virtually empty. I'll probably buy it a bit later this week. But most of the films that I've considered seeing and looked at um, are pretty much sold out by now. Um, but what would you what would you recommend? What would be some of the things you would say to keep keep an eye out for that are coming out of this festival? Um, Ross, you want to start? Um, well, first of all, uh, Kevin, how many movies are you watching? Uh, so far, 22. Oh. Uh, I'm up on you. I'm 23. Damn it. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> this fest is not as diverse as previous ones. Um, there's a real uh, paucity of Korean films, for example, but uh, there's still some interesting stuff opening. Um, I'm probably actually... I'm probably most looking forward to Summer Wars mm. just because mm-hmm. I really liked uh, um, Girl Who Leapt Through Time. So I'm just curious to see that. Uh, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, some of the smaller Taiwan ones I'm seeing, uh, Dad, How Are You, uh, from from the director of uh, Blue Cha-Cha, I think. No, not Blue Cha-Cha, I'm just sorry. Um, we have to cut this part. I completely forgot. That's fine. <laughs> Just roll with it. Um, I'm going to have to like refer to my website now. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, the director of um, Soul of a Demon. There we go. Chang So Chi. Uh, best of times. So yeah, um, I'm seeing a bunch of small Taiwan ones uh, um, from director uh, Chang So Chi. Uh, the best of times. Uh, his film, Dad, How Are You? Um, what else? Uh, Finding Her. Uh, that's from the director of Keeping Watch. Um, films like that. Actually, I'm really interested in, in some of the smaller Taiwanese ones. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of big theatrical ones, big theatrical releases that are getting premiered at the fest. You know, Warrior and the Wolf. Yeah. Thirst is going there. Um, and uh, Mother. Uh, Bong Joon-ho. Now, do you do you uh, prefer to do you, do you like seeing sort of sort of the bigger theatrical ones in the festival, or do you prefer to see those on the outside um, when they're given a general release? Considering how crowded everything is during a festival, I would say regular release. It allows me to just push something, and that way I can concentrate on stuff I know I can't see elsewhere. Mm. Um, I'm seeing like a lot of the shorts programs. There's like four showings of uh, Asian shorts mm. at the uh, HKFF. I'm seeing three of those. Obviously, you're not going to get much, a chan- much of a chance to see those outside of Fest. Um, I have no idea when uh, Yingichi's Pastry is going to be playing theatrically, so I'm seeing that. Uh, the Sion Sono films, you know, they're doing a uh, special uh, thing on Sion Sono. I'm seeing a lot of his films because a lot of them aren't available subtitled. Mm. I'm seeing Love Exposure again. Four hours. My God. It will still be fun. Don't worry. As long as there's still lesbian yeah. kissing in there. Uh, I saw it at, at, uh, in Italy uh, last uh, last in April at the Udine Far East Film Festival. That movie is uh, insane. It's just people go nuts when they watch it. They cannot believe they're seeing what they're seeing. <laughs> is that is that just because of the explicit nature of the content, or it's actually um, not that explicit. It mm-hmm. it references a lot of things that are really uh, kind of vulgar. You know, erections, uh, 
upskirt photography, lots of uh, fetishes, but it really doesn't show anything much. Mm. There's like really no nudity in the film. Um, and the fun of the movie some... is, yeah, the fun of the movie is really in the director's ability to make a 237-minute movie constantly engaging. Yeah, and and about the things he makes it about. Um, actually, I have a friend in. Well, you know, Kevin, you've seen Love Exposure. Yes. Um, it's it's pretty out there, right? Right, right. It's it is very out there, but I wouldn't call it a cult film or anything because it is out to entertain and it is out to, I guess, entertain a mass audience instead of but you know this just. This is thing, kind of like a this is kind of a perspective thing, because you know from a Western audience, especially not counting people in Japan, let's say a Western audience, so people who would watch the film in Udine or at the New York Asian Film Festival where you know won the Audience Award. Um, these people would be like, wow, what the hell? I can't believe they made a movie like this. Oh, sorry. I've heard that it's quite popular in Japan, actually. It played in one theater in Shibuya, and it kept selling out to, to teenagers. Okay, so the thing is, yeah, that's what I really want to know. I want to know if this film is like, people in Japan are like, wow, I can't believe it. They're like, oh, what the hell? Not another film about upskirt photography. You know, I really wanted to know what is their take on it. Because, you know, how people view things outside Japan versus the people in Japan is much different. You know, it's it's it may not be as daring or as uh, novel uh, to them as it is to us. Uh, so I'm, I'm, this is one thing I've always wondered about, love exposure. Mm. It's just a bunch of, uh, um, you know, people who are looking at, wow, Japan is crazy, and then we all go insane over the film. Or is it, is there, or is it really something that special? I think in Japan, it was even then, it was pretty out there because the distributor even used the 237-minute length and, and used it as a selling point in Japan because it was so out there. little bit of news blurb that we came across um that is jackie chan is scheduled to be in a korean film um kevin do you have any any additional details on this yes um this film it's a small comic role movie produced by chinese um art house director jia jang ke um and uh the new the director is uh new he's korean and um i'm not sure why jackie chan got appealed to the role but apparently the producer is also in talk with Chinese actors like Ge Yo and Tony Leon Kafai, who I guess they'll make it his second point as cameo after Founder Republic. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it seems like a non-action movie. Mm. So, so this is what Jackie Chan has said he would do and always said he wanted to do. So we'll see. I mean, did anyone actually imagine some kind of collaboration between Jia Zhang Ke and Jackie Chan? Uh, the, the, the possibilities are endless, I think. I only have one question. Does the film have Huang Bo? <laughs> I'm if sure not, they're talking to people, yeah. yeah. If not, you know, then, then my interest has gone down by 50%. Mm. All right. Um, one last little bit of news from the harbor. Uh, this is specifically relevant to Ross, and that is Egan Chang will be having a concert later this year. And I think that Ross is really probably the most excited person on this podcast about that concert. Um, Out of three of us, perhaps so, yes. Yeah. So um, is this, this, but this won't be the first concert of his you've seen, will it? No, yeah. Well, if I go, it will be the first time I've seen him at a concert. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually, you know, the Egan Cheng thing deserves a little uh, background, probably. Yeah, because so. you 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 sort of have a uh, a bit of a running gag slash feud, a love hate well, relationship website, with 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 him on your website. Well, you know, my website kind of 
kind of uh, well, it, it came up during the whole time when Egan Cheng was still like the fifth Hong Kong superstar, or he appeared to be anyway at that time. After like you know, uh, um, Jackie Jet, Stephen Chow, and uh, Chai and Fat, it's like you know, and Andy Lau, then suddenly Egan Cheng, mm. star <laughs> of all these blockbusters. And it was really deceptive in a way because you know Egan his career kind of tailed off, and it's just because he wasn't able to keep up the momentum. Um, but you know, at the time it was kind of fun to make fun of him just because he was in all these hits. But the hits were just basically him being handsome and his hair flowing. And, uh, and it's not like he was a bad actor or anything. It's just, you know, it was amazing that he was in all these big blockbusters and he was so identified with Hong Kong cinema. And yet, probably on a talent level, he was nowhere near the level of the other people who he was, who were like making all the other big films at the time. Yeah. So, you know, it's just something you kind of made fun of because, you know, he seems like a nice guy. And, and so I would just use a joke about him a lot. But then I got a lot of hate mail take me all on the website so i just kept it up just for fun people couldn't leave comments on my website or anything like that and so the only way i could ever really get a rise out of them is by by like making fun of Ekin chang on the uh homepage. yeah so it kind of became the site almost our trademark in a way and if you do some searches in google you can find people mad at us about uh how we treated Ekin chang yeah um, but uh and do but you know actually i, I hmm? do you still have i'm because i i remember he was often um, sort of the lead figure in some of your April 1st updates. Do you still have some of that archived? It's, it's all on the site somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, I did it twice. Ikin Chang was the lead twice in the April Fool's thing. And that was it. Um, I really don't make fun of him that much um, overall. Uh, I actually quite like him. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a good star. He's, you know, he's not a great actor. He never has been, but he's likable. Uh, he's not a douchebag. Um, <laughs> that's a very important thing for uh, a, a star. Yeah. Not be a douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm thankful that with age, he's gotten more mature and he's taking on more mature roles. Like claustrophobia, it wasn't he wasn't he didn't have a really good performance in it, but at least it was a good try. And I'm hoping that he does, he makes better choices from now on with his roles. If it is age, actually, at least you know it's it. it Ikin Cheng has always starred in movies based on his looks. It's just the way it is. And it's, you know, he's a handsome person and uh, women like him and men were not threatened by him. So, <laughs> you know, it, it works out for him. But he just, you know, he, you're right, he couldn't sustain it. He ended up having to always co star with people, eventually playing second fiddle to like the twins. So, yeah. but, you know, he has longevity and uh, he, he's still around. You know, actually, I saw, I was in Japan recently, I saw him in Kamui Gaiden the Japanese film that he has an appearance in. He's just a supporting character in that? Yeah, really small role, actually. But yeah. uh, but he survives, so he'll be in the sequel. <laughs> oh. um, it's, it's a little weird. He, he's a bad guy. And uh, it it's not really doesn't really fit him. It's just strange. You look at him and you're like, wow, you're such a nice guy. But yes, concert coming, and uh, we're all excited. So so you're going to be looking forward to seeing him? Uh, do you, do you, what, what do you think of him as a singer? I mean, are you a, a fan of his music <laughs> at all, or...? You know, actually, for his singing, I think it's more that his songs are always connected to a film. Mm. Yeah. So, so when you think of his songs, it's like, oh, yeah, it was this film and that film. And probably the best thing about For Bad Boys Only was his song. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I was just going to say that's the one song that I have of his is on a, a little compilation CD with the theme song from that movie. And I, the, the reason I bought that CD was because of that song. So, My personal favorite is uh, Legend of Speed. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, his, you know, with, with the immortal line, sometimes you must step on the gas. 
<laughs> I love that line. Sorry, it's uh, uh, spoken about the the late, the great Blackie Co. Let's move on to a couple bits of news from around the globe. Um, this first bit of news is a news story that I came across um, regarding a little indie film called Paranormal Activity that's been making a lot of headlines recently. Apparently, this film was made um, with a budget of like around $15,000. And in the few theaters that it's been playing, and it's made upwards of already of, of almost $8 million. Um, and it hasn't gotten a major release, and it's it's just doing gangbusters in terms of business. Some people are comparing this to um, the old 1990s film, The Blair Witch Project. Other people say that you know it's it's sort of a m- much more mature extension of that time of type of filmmaking. But from everything I've been hearing, it's really very very scary. Um, but going in a sort of completely opposite direction of a lot of the movies today that are sort of using um torture porn you know the, the such as the the saw movies and the hostile movies and, and those types of films that this is something that kind of really goes in a completely different direction for some of the scares and and the scariness that's being generated in the film have have either of you guys heard of anything about this movie at all yeah i saw a trailer of it and um yeah it looks like a more mature, um, less less um, dizzying version of the Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. Looks fine. Uh, I mean, I've, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I've only uh, read a little about it, so sorry. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, um, I, I doubt this will be something that we end up getting here. It doesn't did seem. Hong Kong, did Hong Kong care for Blair Witch? I don't. Uh, I don't. I, I know uh, that there's a video release. Um, of it, I think it carried. I think that the bus from America carried it here, but I think it was just a case of you know people, um, you know, watching it. And they're like, what, what the hell are these people doing in the woods, carrying camera? I don't know what's going on. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, but I'm sure the bus would carry it here. Last little bit of news: um, director Mike Nichols, um, who's directed films such as The Graduate, his most recent film was uh, with Tom Hanks, Charlie Wilson's War. Uh, he is to be give, receiving the 38th American Film Institute's uh, Lifetime Achievement Award. So, have either of you guys? Did either of you guys see uh, his last film, uh, Charlie Wilson's War? I did not. Okay. I did, and I did. Yeah, I I liked it. It's not a great film by any by any, but it had a good script and a good performances. You know, it's a fine movie. He's been kind of quiet in the last decade. Other than that movie, it was just Closer. Or Closer, sorry. Not Closer. Closer is about a relief pitcher.
right, let's move on to our main topics this week. First, this week up in for East Screen, uh, we have the Herman Yao film Split Second Murders. Um, Kevin, do you want to try and give us a little bit of a synopsis about this film? Yeah, um, Paul says try because um, Split Second Murders doesn't really have a, much of a clear plot structure. It stars a Fama member, uh, Lok Wing, um, or Six Wing, as some might write, uh, as an aspiring comic book artist, and uh, essentially his day and his uh, encounters with death essentially everywhere he goes. Um, this, like we mentioned last week, this is an uh, Idols ensemble film, so you see big stars like the other half of Fama, you got uh, younger idols like William Chan, who has a nice little joke in there about his current love life. Uh, Kate Se, um, Andy Hui, um, Stephanie Chan. Uh, can I go on? Um, it's, it's like it's like Founding Republic, but starring idols. So <laughs> I don't think anyone knows who those people are. Yeah. 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 I, I spotted most of them. I spotted most of them. Yes. There's definitely a, a lot. Uh, of neophyte up and comer up and coming stars um in this film i think i did not recognize um more than 20 percent of those that you know and th those being the ones that kevin just mentioned um but ross what, what did you think about this film i mean herman yao is not really one no who's known to uh, you know work a lot with sort of the young stars i mean he has done he has done some films with twins and and um some of the more popular stars on occasion but this is kind of really a a step in a different direction for him with such a large cast i mean you've got people like chrissy chow who's you know sort of the talk of the town these days um among others what what, what did you think of of the film well it's it's not so different from like the early troublesome night movies in terms of the cast is so big mm. And you know, and now this time, yeah, there's a huge proliferation of really uh, of like idols and actors and singers who are all pretty much on the same level, like who haven't really done anything yet, like William Chan and Paco Chow and uh, Wiley Chu, Chrissy Chow. Yeah, they're, they're all big. Kate said they're you know they're people who have names, but they've achieved like very little success in film. So they're all on the same level. In in Troublesome Night. They were all on different levels, but th there was a really large cast and um, a lot of idols in there too. A lot of pretty people. Um, he did Dating Death before. Do you remember that film, 2004? Yeah, that was with uh, all the cookies, right? Uh, Steffi and Teresa, yeah. and also a lot of uh, and Deep, and uh, who else? Um, and Don, and a bunch of people that thankfully don't work very much. But um, yeah, it, it was just the same thing. Uh, a lot of young idols, and actually that, that film was terrible. Uh, this film is much better than Dating Death. <laughs> much better. So what what about this film in particular um, appealed to you? What did you like about it? Mainly it was unexpected, um, unassuming. Um, it has a good sense of humor. It, it, it It's consistent in how it portray, uh, handles its sense of humor. It doesn't uh, it doesn't go over the top in the way where it like, you know, shoves its jokes in your face. Mm. Uh, it, it's really funny on a, on a satirical level, on a dark level. And it it uh, and it surprises you, I think. Um, yeah, a lot of the jokes are really based on things that you recognize. Uh, people who are angry, people who are rejected, um, not getting along in their family life, their love life, their home life, their work life. Uh, there's some, you know, really good themes in there, and uh, they're easy to recognize. And when you see people, you know, getting really upset and getting murderous about these things, it, it does strike a chord. So mm -hmm. I think for that reason, it becomes 
uh, much better than uh, on other films you'll see because you know there there is a basis there. Mm. And I think most of, most of the credit should go to Herman Yao because the script had potential for a lot of chaos. And when you see chaos in idol films, you it gets really annoying. Like uh, was it nobody's perfect? But here Herman Yao kind of kind of pulls off a sense of controlled chaos, so mm -hmm. that you know it, it's funny to watch instead of you know being annoying. Mm -hmm. Well, he, the amazing thing is that he uses the actors really well. And there's no, not really what you call a standout performance in the film, but nobody is bad. Yeah. And, you know, in, in the cast, there's a lot of potential for people to be bad. Yeah, but, yeah. But no one is bad. He really, you know, figures out how to use each person. So it's, you know, and that's one thing he did not do in Dating Death, by the way. So, um, yeah, I, I, it was a surprise to me. Uh, Kevin, you're right. The story is not that, that novel in a way. Um, it really had the potential to backfire, actually, especially towards the end. It still doesn't succeed completely. It still gets a little, uh, a little, a little Pollyannish. You get what I mean, Pollyannish, mm -hmm. with its uh, with its ending. You know, with uh, what it tries to do, slightly pretentious in a way. But but he really sidesteps that. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't hang the film on it. The film is enjoyable to watch as you watch it. It's not based on oh, the ending better work or else this thing's gonna suck. Mm. So. You know, it, it's it's really a success for him. Uh, Herman Yao, uh, you said this before, Paul, is that, you know, he does more with less than any Hong Kong director working today. Yeah, and I think I, I, I still got, I really got the feeling that that was apparent here. Although I would say that um, there, there were a couple of things about this film that, that kind of just hit me in a little bit of an odd manner. The first being the poster. I think if you see the movie poster, especially the, the, the sort of the big landscape poster that you see um, on some of the buses. I got a completely different vibe uh, from that of what this film was going to be. And I, I think a couple people commented that, you know, they thought that this is like a sort of a Halloween scream style, um, you know, that type of genre of a film. And it's really not. I mean, it's really, um, it's, it's a lot more interrelated to localized events and i think that's the other thing that kind of hit me i'm not sure how somebody outside of hong kong would really be able to read a lot of what was going on in this film because there are so many things that are happening here that are based upon uh, something that happened in the news or it's commenting on commenting on a tv commercial or a public service ad or it, it there's just a lot of sort of in joke um referencing and intertextuality that's kind of going on here so I'm not sure that this would be as well received by people on the outside. Um, Kevin, what do you what, what would you think about that? Do you think that people, um, you know, overseas would would have a harder time reading through this film? Yeah, I think people who don't know the idols and people who don't know the local humor might have a harder time enjoying this movie. Yeah, think about it. Yeah, I think one of the things to see that is that it really does take local events and actually make it funny instead of just make it seem like they're trying to do a contrived gag. So yeah, I think I mean, half the film's humor is actually based on local things. Yeah. You know, like you got the joke about uh, William Chang's love life where you got the thing about, you know, family fighting the PSA and things like, yeah, not to think about it. Yeah, it might not work as well for our audience outside of Hong Kong, but yet there is still a level of filmmaking here that I think audiences who are not familiar with Hong Kong pop culture might enjoy yeah it's it's like as as i'm watching a film like this i'm just thinking about you know um new media and 
some of the promise that we keep hearing about, you know, the next generation of, of video and DVDs that they're going to be all hyperlinked and, and, you know, you'll, you'll see a scene in a movie that's maybe referencing another movie. And if you haven't seen that, you'll be able to click a button and go and see the scene from the other movie that it's referencing. And I'm thinking about this that. Still needs that. Yeah. yeah this I, still needs that. It's like that, that is, if they had that ability right now, that would really work well for this film because there's just, it's so many scenes that are so closely connected to each other will then be, you know, related to things on the outside that if you're not really familiar with it, you might not be able to get the full meaning behind it. Personally speaking, this movie is a hard sell to anyone who doesn't really care about actual Hong Kong culture. I mean, you really have to care about it, I think. Yeah. It's, it's really a local film. It, it doesn't play that well. Actually, you know, I don't know how, how I would have viewed it five years ago. Yeah. Uh, I probably still would have enjoyed it, but I probably would not have gotten what was happening yeah. 80% of the time. And one, one of the things surprising is that even Hong Kong people don't like it. This movie, it, it it's hasn't yeah they, um it flopped totally the box office to people who yeah, box saw office it. Is, box office is not really a barometer and not a film is good. Well yeah and all but then also you got people who actually even they see a poster they even hear a title and they're like oh I'll just download it. Oh, well, well, it's not really if long. if I can give the film one slight plug, um to try and get you know local audiences or anybody else who's hearing this podcast to go and see it, Andy Hoy getting impaled with chopsticks totally worth the price of admission oh yeah easy best part of it (laughs) easily actually for me the best part is the wedding scene (laughs) the the banquet the uh, where the the, the fate of sequan yeah the jumping the jumping yeah the jump yeah Yeah, jumping but this really is the most surprising hong kong movie of the year for me so i i do urge people to see it and i have been doing it for the last week or so so. yeah and uh, you know you 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 touch upon something though um, about how people when they see a poster or whatever of a Hong Kong movie they just go oh what the hell you know um, it, just generally speaking locals are down on Hong Kong cinema yeah they really are down on it they just you know they don't even give it a chance anymore they just think it's cheap crap it, they don't even want to touch it they don't even care what it's about or if maybe it's trying anything they just assume by looking at it that it's nothing unless it like has like a really established star or big uh, a big um, uh, marketing campaign that really shows off its budget. They they just don't want to look at the film, and yeah. it's it's a bit distressing. Yeah, I mean, this is how I, you know, everyone just views Hong Kong cinema as something. This is what I download. I pay to see Transformers too, but I download a Hong Kong film or I or I borrow my friend's DCD or I see it on cable. Then again, Go Label hasn't really, you know, the the idol film hasn't really made it easy for Hong Kong audiences to pay to watch an idol film anyway, though. And I mean, one of the things we talked about uh, briefly last week, Kevin, you had mentioned that, you know, if anything, uh, that if there was anything about this film that would get people into the theaters, it would be the appearance by Chrissy Chow. Um, what 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 were your thoughts, um, Ross and Kevin, what were your thoughts on her as her sort of debut as an actress? Do you think she's got a future in cinema or do you think she should just stick to making uh, Langmo books? I think she's just find a movie. Um, I think she needs to get past this 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 new wave of public opinion for her to be like a to become a real actress. But you know, I thought she was fine in a movie. I liked her. Ross, any thoughts? She she's okay, but uh, I I'm, I wasn't really like she did she did like once again I said that Herman Yao really didn't uh, make anyone look bad. Yeah. 
but she doesn't really do very much in the film if you think about it. Yeah. Her, her pony is basically just, a, just she barely even changes her expression that much in the film. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think she's all right. He he may have, I, I don't know, you know, maybe she can do more one day. We don't know. But I think there's some truth in that, you know, people shouldn't always be like, you know, playing up their careers like, oh, they have to be more than this now. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes it's okay just to be, um, not to, not to, to, you know, not to make it sound so terrible, but sometimes it's okay just to be eye candy for a while. Yeah. Like how many people in Japan start as like a bikini idol mm. and eventually move into something else, but it's not something that happens overnight. Yeah. It just takes a little time, but you know, here it's just like, I think things happen so quickly that if you don't quickly make a splash, you're considered yesterday's news in like two months. So she's better. She better like improve now and do something now, or she's nobody soon. And that's that's just I think the nature of the media here. The media here is a little too uh, demanding, judgmental. Mm-hmm. Or she probably have a new just book. My hmm? I wish she needs a new book quick. A new photo book? Yes. Yes. Um, I'm hoping for another pillow. <laughs> yeah, pillow the sequel. That's exactly what we need. They can do a film about the pillow. <laughs> There is air doll, so never know. Yeah, yeah, you know, the kissy chop pillow, you know. Yeah. And I hate to say it, you know, finding a you know a way to capitalize on that publicity in a film maybe not a bad thing for her. Mm. This film doesn't really do it. You know, she's in other films soon, so we'll see more of her very very shortly. Yeah. Let's move on to our West Screen topic for this week, and that is the science fiction independent film District 9. Um, I've seen this. Kevin, you've seen it. Ross, have you seen this film? Uh, no, I have not. So, you know, I don't have to speak at all during this segment. Um, <laughs> except for my brother told me it's totally awesome, and why haven't you seen it? It came out here two months ago. Yeah. That's him in the States. Yeah. So, yeah, I know it took a while, and I, I do want to see it. Well, um, just to give a little bit of a synopsis of this film, um, District 9 tells the story of an alternative sort of near-future Earth where aliens have landed, only unlike, you know, uh, the typical Hollywood film where they always land over Washington or some major city in the United States, um, this time they land in South Africa. And uh, the, the basic premise of the story is they're not really sure... The ship seems to have been broken down, um, and uh, there's a there's a government organization called the MNU who's put together to try and deal with the situation. Um, they finally are able to get into the ship, and they find um, thousands of these alien species who they ultimately call the prawn because they're a little bit uh, insectoid looking, and a little bit like uh, shrimp, you might say. And this this becomes derogatory, but basically you have these displaced aliens who end up taking residence um, in Africa. And uh, as you might think, there's racial tensions and all kinds of things that goes on, as well as military interest in the technology. Um, and the aliens themselves are very interesting because unlike the very traditional aliens that you see in something like Close Encounters um, or even, even a film 
that's somewhat similar um, in that of the, the movie Alien Nation, the aliens here are pretty useless. Um, their culture's totally different and they're not able to integrate into society. They have different concepts of things like ownership and and ultimately they just end up living in this slum. And the premise of the movie is that there's the MNU has been called to evict all of the prawn move them to a new camp and so the main character of this story is just sort of your average pencil pushing bureaucrat who's just been promoted uh, to be in charge of going around and evicting all these prawn and he gets sort of caught up in this uh, conspiracy when he finds himself uh, infected by some kind of an, an alien contaminant and he slowly begins to see things changing and he's then wanted by um, the government and the military and he finds himself on the run. So this is a this film got quite a bit of buzz because first it's an independent film um, but it's it relies quite heavily on a lot of special effects um, even for an independent film it's got um, production coming from Peter Jackson uh, known for Lord of the Rings uh, more than anything else right now and it's been doing really well and it's got a lot of positive press um, I really enjoyed it. I'm a little bit biased because I am a huge sci-fi geek, though. Um, Kevin, what were your thoughts on District 9? Um, I really enjoyed the first half of the film when it was doing this um, mockumentary and you showing the how the humans actually try to um, interact with the species. And I thought it was a really neat idea and really neat execution. But for me, the second half didn't work as well. I mean, overall, the movies is good. I, I liked it. But... The second half, when it turned into, um, it kind of dropped the mockumentary um, format and just turned into another action sci-fi movie. Um, it was enjoyable while it lasted, but like I said, it's, it's sad to see these really good ideas in the first half go to waste. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it's got, it, it picks up a style that's a little bit like, um, I want to say, Cloverfield without all the shaky cam um, in that it's sort of telling... Uh, telling the narrative up to a certain point uh, with clips and news footage and, um, you know, handheld video and interviews. So it does have this very strong documentary feel, and it's really well put together. And then at a certain point, it sort of switches gears, and it becomes a little bit of a more traditional Hollywood-style um, action film. Uh, but for me, I think that I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that combination. I think if the film would have been totally sort of following that Cloverfield mode of just, you know, using clips and various snippets to try and tell the whole story. I think for me, it might not have worked quite as well as it did. Um, but what do you, what do you think about some of the, some of the effects and um, some of the themes that are being presented? The film's getting a lot of attention because obviously there's a lot of themes of racism and racial tension that are being alluded to, even though these are aliens um, you know, they're living in slums and they're sort of being alluded to um, in, in terms of being sort of like migrant workers in foreign countries or illegal aliens in foreign countries and the way that they are ultimately treated and the way that their culture is viewed. Um, do you think that the film's message maybe is too heavy handed or do you think it was appropriate? I think I'm a little... I say yes and no, both heavy-handed and not really. Um, it's you know, when you take when you have a movie that takes place in Johannesburg, you know, you can't not mention something like apartheid. Um, and so that's you know, I think that was okay. And um, the way it 
portray the humans and when you have a movie a story like this i think it's naturally got touch into things like racism and of course how it alludes to the real world and how the human world um so you know, i don't think it was too heavy handed i think it was um fine for a commercial film like this you can't really be subtle about this sort of thing you know when this kind of movie it's not really as as didactic as some other movies that dealt with race before so you know, I'm, i was fine with the, the way it handled it hmm. So would you would you recommend Ross ru- rushing out to watch this film, Kevin? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a good film. So definitely, I have to, I have to go see it in the cinema. You're saying? Yeah, it, I I would I would say yeah, it's definitely worth uh, uh, a cinema screening uh, on a, on a big good screen if if possible. Um, even though I don't think that the film itself is not really because again you're you're getting um, clips of sort of handheld video at some points and you know sort of like captured news footage at some points but even so i think that in the scope of the whole film it really works well on a bigger screen i've heard before that um district nine was a short film so by the same director and so i really like to see what was in the short film and what he expanded expanded. yeah hopefully we'll get we'll get a lot of of that on as like special features on a dvd release later All right, let's move on to a special topic that we want to talk about this week, and that is um, Asian cinema and Blu-ray. Now, I'm not anywhere near an expert when it comes to Blu-ray. I don't even have a Blu-ray player as yet, but one thing I have noticed in shopping for local Hong Kong films and other Asian films is that the selection uh, that's out there and available for Blu-ray is getting larger and larger, and I myself am thinking maybe now it's time to jump in um, because I keep wondering if, you know, some of the films that are coming out in these initial waves of, of Blu-ray releases for Asian cinema and Hong Kong cinema will eventually become very hard to find and, and not available. Um, so we want to talk a little bit with, with Ross about his thoughts on Blu-ray because he's started a collection and he's noticed um, some issues with some Blu-ray releases as, and, and others, and uh, we'll get him to make a few recommendations as well. So Ross, what are what are your thoughts initially on Blu-ray in general for for Asian cinema for Hong Kong cinema? Is there really a substantial upgrade when it comes to um, the video quality for some local films? Well, you know, for newer films for sure. But uh, uh, I mean, like you know, Red Cliff One and Two, Empress and the Warriors. If you're really interested in Empress and the Warriors. Um, uh, Initial D, Infernal Affairs, you know, all those big titles that get people excited. Um, the, the, those ones uh, are really good on Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, you know, the, the quality is noticeable. You can see it. Uh, you can hear it. Um, but, you know, you know, they're only starting to dig into back catalog. You know, if people, you're, you just suddenly, you know, all the Bruce Lee movies are suddenly being released. You know, the Dragon, yeah. Way of the Dragon, The Big Boss. Um, and then they just released uh, Jackie Chan's Police Story and uh, Jet Li Choi Hark's uh, Once Upon a Time in China. But um, you know, in truth, probably the technology is still a little new, and Hong Kong still hasn't figured it out. I'm sure you remember when Hong Kong first did DVD. Yeah. Um, it, it took them a little while to get it right. Yeah, I, I remember I, some of the DVDs I got were basically they looked like uh, VCDs that had been kind of copied over and I think that's one of my 
my big questions with when it comes to Blu-ray is that will I just be looking at maybe a DVD resolution copy that's been ported over onto sim- simply onto a Blu-ray disc? Um, uh, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have not seen, I mean, you know, I have not seen some of the, the catalog titles that have been released. I haven't seen, uh, there's one Shaw Brothers that's been released, the uh, Behind the Yellow Line, the Leslie Chung, Leslie and, you Chung know, Moon, yeah. Maggie Chung film. And then you have, of course, Police Story, Once Upon a Time in China. I haven't actually seen those yet because I'm a little leery about them. I've replaced, you know, those are films that you buy like eight, nine times. Yeah. And this, this time it's going to cost me like 35 US dollars. And you know, I, I'm 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 afraid it's not going to be that good. That they didn't do a good job of uh, of of bringing it to high definition. So uh, you know, I haven't touched them. I mean, uh, I did speak to Kevin once about it, and he told me the reaction to them on local uh, on local forums has not been great. Yeah. 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 I've heard that the the police story Blu-ray was essentially blown up from the DVD um, transfer. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that really sucks because, you know, Police Story is one of my favorite Hong Kong films. And, you know, there's the whole issue with digital noise reduction. That's something that, you know, is going on where, you know, just to, to, to bring it to Blu-ray, they, they smooth it out with digital noise reduction. But, of course, that reduces clarity. Yeah. Gets rid of some of the video noise. Um, it's a really cheap way of bringing a film to Blu-ray. It's happened with a lot of films in the States. You know, it's one of the things that people bitch about on, uh, on, on, uh, on um, you know, on, on, on Blu-ray sites, they just you know complain if is there DNR, is there not DNR. Um, so the old films, it's something that I don't know when we'll see really good versions of them. Depends on what elements are available ultimately. Yeah, uh, and it would like seem that. it would seem to me that especially some of the some of the old really older stuff, um, you know, like uh, some of the Tsui Hark movies or or the police stories would probably be well suited to maybe actually having them spend some time to remaster. Um, some of the copies as well, because even yeah, on... they'd have to start from scratch with a lot of them. Yeah, and I don't think anyone, I don't think the money is there for them to do it anymore. Even with great Jackie Chan titles, mm-hmm. um, it's you know, it, it's it's a different world now. Everyone already has them. It's not the, the same thing to to try to uh, bring them up to spec, so to speak, because the money is probably not there. They're not going to be able to make the money back at this point. Yeah. Um, but you know. For all the new titles coming out, Blu-ray cannot be beat. I would not want to watch Red Cliff any other way. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what about some of the, you know, some of the, um, some of the titles that are coming out that didn't have the really big budgets, like the Red Cliffs? I mean, I, w- I was looking in the store uh, a few days ago, and they have uh, on His Majesty's Secret Service, and it's <laughs> actually considerably cheaper than some of the other Blu-rays around it. It was, it was not quite as expensive. But then that gave me pause to think, you know, is this really Blu-ray, quote unquote, or is this just something that's been kind of, you know, shoddily transferred over and put in a little case that looks well, Blu-ray-ish? You can check to see if the, the movies are listed as uh, true HD, mm-hmm. 1080p, 1080 progressive. Um, and that, that helps a little bit. You know, films like that, it's, it's a tough a tough call really you know the, the price is right you may want to try it out but a lot of times you know people buy blu-ray because they want picture and sound you really need picture and sound for on his majesty's secret service yeah probably not uh the, the mcdowell blu-ray or uh, mcdowell kung fu ding dong yeah ding dong. that blu-ray is really great uh you know the scene the one with the painting yeah the uh you know the chinese Mona Lisa, whatever that they call it yeah um that seems so clear you, know, you could just sit there and uh and just uh, uh, you know, 
do a, you know, um, you can just pause it and uh, do a frame by frame mm. on that scene because it's just so great to look at and the colors are awesome. Um, yeah, McDowell, I would recommend you totally buy in Blu-ray. Yeah, I mean, now, ironically, one of the, one of the first films locally that came out was, um, if I remember correctly, it was um, Initial D, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, ha- has there been much much price fluctuation in the prices of Blu-rays since then? Have they come down at all, or um, a little? Yeah, a little. But it's mainly based on you know, Hong Kong is a place where you know the people will charge what they can get. So this probably explains why you see certain Blu-rays being cheaper than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Overheard is is like obscenely expensive, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's uh, Redcliffe is really expensive for a Blu-ray. But on his Majesty, on his Majesty's Secret Service is not. Uh, you know, Hong Kong doesn't really operate that way yet. Eventually, one day prices will drop here, but I'm sure you'll still see Blu-ray. I mean, you'll still see the Blu-ray of Redcliffe expensive, mm. being expensive. Mm. Um, prices are now cheaper for U.S. versions, though. The Taiseng ones, Taiseng is releasing a lot of these Blu-rays under their own label in the states, and the prices are dropped considerably. Mm. If you if you take a look, it's like something here that's twenty-three dollars is like sixteen there. Mm-hmm. But there's a trade-off, uh, and th- that's that. Uh, apparently, some of the new Tyson Blu-rays are um, BDRs, uh, Blu-ray recordable discs, mm-hmm. which is kind of, kind of, it kind of it's kind of off-putting. Yeah, and and so when that that basically means they're just copying over um, from from an original disc, is it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure they because like you know earlier on early on they said that Tyson had a deal with Media Asia. Uh, with a lot of the films coming, which is why, you know, Taiseng, they always release versions of Sniper, of, uh, uh, yeah, the, you know, the Media Asia film. So mm-hmm. they just released a Blu-ray of The Assembly, mm-hmm. you know, which looks fine on Blu-ray and it uh, looks good. But it's it's a DDR. You can look on the back and see it was a burn. It was like something I could do on my computer. Mm. And, it, you know, it's, 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 it's digital, so the quality is the same. There really is no difference, but it just, you know, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, it's it's like, you know, I I pay to buy packaged media and, you know, I don't really want a BDR. You want the full package. It feels like, yeah, I mean, you guys buy DVDs. How would you feel if you bought a DVD and it's not advertised as such? That yeah. It's not that's a recordable. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. That's that is a good point. Um, what would you say about other Asian cinema sort of outside of Hong Kong um, from Japan um, Korea or, or other parts in terms of, of Blu-ray. Um, do you see the? Do you see this as a good sort of a good time for someone to get started in you know maybe maybe making the changeover or do you think people should wait? In general, I mean, I think Blu-ray is still in the early adopter stage. You know, it's picked up. They talk about it picking up, but it's not where they want it to be. And it's just that not everyone has a high def TV. Yeah. Um, People are still, you know, stuck with their, uh, with their, you know, their LCD panels, or even worse, their four by threes, and you know, you, they they don't need a Blu-ray player. It, it's prices will go down. That's the thing, you know. I mean, there are a lot of Blu-rays I would love to buy of a lot of Western films, and I, I have not done it yet because I don't think I need to spend thirty-five dollars yet on Wall Street. Mm. I can wait, and I'm sure Wall Street would be fifteen one day, and then I can buy it. Um, well, the same thing will happen one day with uh, Asian cinema, but I don't know when it will be. It, you know, it depends, and prices differ. You know, as you can, as you notice, some are cheaper. Korea actually, their their prices on Blu-ray discs are slightly cheaper than their counterparts in Hong Kong and uh, the States. 
Kevin, any thoughts on uh, Blu-ray at all? Um, I'm really waiting for the price to go down. I mean, now in America, they've really done what they did with DVD is releasing a lot of these old titles that no one really cares about, like Kenneth Branagh's Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or, or, or things like um yeah you know i think um i've seen one or two blue i've seen a few blue myself and i think really it is the 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 way for the future i have to say it's a cliche mm. but um yeah i think price is a huge thing it's, it's really ridiculous for a movie like you know turning point to be only 10 hong kong dollars more expensive than blu-ray while you got something like over her which is almost double the price mm. i think pricing really needs to needs to be in control. I mean, you, you, you need to get it back in control. It's going wild here in Hong Kong. So that's, I think mean, that's the one big thing that's keeping people from Blu-ray. You know, in Hong Kong, it's, it's, it's totally true that, uh, that, that, you know, Blu-ray is just for a certain small customer base. And that customer base is still willing to pay a lot to get a, a Blu-ray, you know, they, they really just like the idea that they're getting it. So you know, they can't bring them down to appeal to the uh, the VCD crowd, and the install base is install base is not there yet. Um, so I think we have a little ways to go in Hong Kong. Hong Kong is going to be behind the curve. Um, the states, the prices are are dropping, as you can see. Best Buy is selling them all cheaper, and uh, you can get a bunch of deals. But here, you know, the same disc is going to be more expensive than buying in the states. But actually, I think uh, Hong Kong has been the most ahead in Blu-ray in terms of in Asia. Like Korea, there's only been about ten Blu-ray movies. So less far? actually less it's yes. like they just released the good bad and the weird and you know before that it was like the same five titles for like the last year uh, right right or uh yeah, um, war yes totally deserved and, uh what, what else um uh, like the host. yeah the, the host. host um Tango oh, i think I, I can't wait for the for for other countries like korea and japan to really join the blu-ray i, I can't wait for because then you know because hong kong movies are not made with Huge production, but just not made with the best film stock. They're not mastered the same the best equipment. But whereas you got Korea and Japan, which who makes movie international production standard. But Japan is doing it actually. It's just that they're not accessible. English subtitles are now more rare than ever. It seems. Um, you know, they just released a Blu-ray of Goemon. Oh. Uh, uh, Yatterman has a Blu-ray. Uh, Crows Two has a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I believe. I'm, I'm really, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, they're releasing tons of Blu-ray in Japan. It's just that how many of them can we really port over? Um, yeah. Unless you understand Japanese. Uh, Japanese Blu-rays, I own maybe four, three or four. That's it. Mm-hmm. I think that probably my biggest reservation uh, about making the switch over to Blu-ray is that with the with the rate at which, you know, media forms are sort of changing these days, I'm afraid that, you know, as I start to you know, initially phase in and phase out um, DVDs to Blu-rays that they'll just make a jump to the next thing, which, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering if it's going to be sort of some 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 sort of like cloud library, um, you know, like where you similar to iTunes, but see iTunes has the problem that once you buy a title, if your computer crashes or you lose the backup or something, uh, they don't keep a record of your purchase and you have to repurchase it but i'm thinking that eventually they may move to a model to where they basically keep a record of what you've bought and you just can have access to stream it or download it to any of your various media players whether it's your tv or your phone or your your pmp or whatever you you know your computer whatever you have um and i i don't know if that'll happen within you know the next 10 or 20 years but i would i would think that that's kind of where some of the 
some of the media industry is starting to push. And I mean, I know that Hong Kong and, and Asia would probably be a bit behind the curve in, in making a transition to that. But I think that, you know, it just seemed like there was there was a substantial amount of time between VHS and then the shift to DVD. But now it seems like that, all right, we're on the cusp of, you know, kind of converting over to Blu-ray, but then they're already talking about the next thing. Um, and that, that kind of gives me pause to think, should I just, you know, should I just hold off on um, updating things in my library? Um, is, is it going to be worth the expense in the long run? Or are we all going to be on some completely different platform uh, 10 years from now? I think that as long as mainstream computers can't produce the same effect as something a 40-inch LCD TV can do, I think Blu-ray will still be around. So don't worry too much, Paul. Yeah. But, but in, in a sense, it's, it's true that uh, collecting media is now a hobby. It's not even about what you have on the disc anymore. It's just about the action. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's that's what they have to play on because, you know, there's too much product. Everybody has access to the same stuff. And, you know, this just, uh, you have to just like to collect media. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're lucky that, you know, I still happen to enjoy collecting media. How many times have I, have I bought Chunking Express? Like 20 times or something like that. <laughs> something really obscene. You don't want to know how many copies of Chunking Express I own. But, you know, a lot of people now, they, yeah, a lot of it depends, I think, on the next generation, really. What are they going to want to do? Yeah. Um, these are the people that download religiously. Their problem is not that the quality isn't what they want or the movie they want isn't available. It's that when am I going to have the chance to watch all the crap I've downloaded? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 it's completely shifted um, how it works. There's too much product and people now don't have the time to consume it. Access is so high. Uh, I now have a choice of watching a Korean, a Japanese, a Chinese, a, a U.S. film, a U.K. film, a, a French film. Um, you know, everything is at my fingertips. So, so for that reason, you know, Blu-ray is just something that you just have to really like packaged media. You have to just really like the tactile feel of buying media. Mm. If you just want to watch movies, you know, it's not going to be that way. They're just going to go to the theater or they're going to download it or rent it or something like that and not own it. Mm. So it depends on who you really are. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about it because the truth is if, if something better comes along, you'll probably jump on anyway if you really like me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I probably true. would. Um, but you know, each time is diminishing. I, I probably won't next time buy Turning Point. <laughs> um, this time I'm buying Chunking Express again. And next time I'll buy Chunking Express again. Mm. But next time I won't buy La Lingerie. So... <laughs> Why? Yeah, I'm, I'm buying the 10th anniversary of Turning Point. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, by the way, I should, I should just say this. For anyone out there really interested in buying a lingerie on Blu-ray, and I know you would do, um, it's like the worst Blu-ray I've ever seen. <laughs> well, the, the DVD is not all that great shakes either. I mean, I watched my DVD copy uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, and it was, I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't even really look DVD quality in a lot of the scenes, and I don't know if that's just indicative of, of the noise, film itself right? yeah a lot of noise a lot of noise. yeah okay it's really bad on the blu-ray it's like the thing is blinking at me the whole time <laughs> i'm watching it so i have a blu-ray in la lingerie and it's like the tv is winking at me for two hours mm-hmm. la lingerie is not short it's like an hour 50 which is like maybe hell. maybe what they've done is they've like input subliminal frames of steffi you know kind of winking at you like at every 23rd or 24th frame 
to try and get you to be inspired to go out and buy her latest CD or something. I don't know, but because of that, I bought three copies of the Blu-ray just because I want to make sure <laughs> they're okay, you know, and they're all bad. So it worked. It worked. <laughs> <laughs> they got their money. All right. Well, we got to move on. And so since we have Ross with us this week, uh, we're going to go on to our Flying Buddha Picks of the Week. And this week, we're going to ask Ross to give us um, two picks that he would recommend for people thinking about um, going into Blu-ray or who might already have some Blu-rays but be looking to sort of expand into um, Asian cinema and Hong Kong cinema. So, Ross, um, would you give us a pick of a Hong Kong movie Blu-ray that you would recommend and then an Asian movie Blu-ray that you might recommend for listeners looking to get into the Blu-ray scene? Well, fortunately or unfortunately, the picks here are really geek-oriented. There's just no other way to do it because if you have a Blu-ray player, you want something big. You know, you want great picture, great sound explosions, uh, spectacle. So when it comes to uh, Hong Kong at this time, I would just say Red Cliff 1 and Red Cliff 2. And they're not two films, they're one film. Yeah, so they're, that, they're both amazing Blu-rays. Does the, does the Blu-ray, is it like um, like the Lord of the Rings release where they had a lot of extra footage put in um, for the no. video release? Or is it just basically straight, the, the, the films straight from the cinema? Straight from the cinema. Uh, pretty much, um, but you can't go wrong with them. They're they're entertaining films. The second one more so than the first, and together they're they're a lot of fun. And they 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 really are what your Blu-ray player is made for. Um, right now, yeah, if you had to buy a Hong Kong, any Hong Kong film, I would say it's just say get those two. Um, you know, if you count them as Hong Kong films, some people don't. Uh, I won't get into that. Okay. How about how about how about an Asian movie pick? What would you recommend? I probably already mentioned it, Good, Bad, and the Weird. Um, really fun film, you know. Not the greatest film overall, but just a lot of fun. Plays with the form. Uh, great acting, really good action. Uh, also spectacle. And uh, the Korean Blu-ray is uh, really nice. And and actually, one thing I would point out is, you know, there are other Blu-rays of this will be available. Magnolia has in the States, so they'll be releasing it. And uh, the UK version is already out but uh, region-coded. Um, but uh, the, the Korean one is a very classy package. It's, it's, you know, they don't really try to play it up as, you know, as goofy Asian action. It just, you know, looks, it's, it's like the version you would like to own. Also comes with postcards, so if you like the actors, that's one thing. If you have like a man crush on uh, Lee Byung-hun, this is the one to get. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's a great Blu-ray. Uh, I think I've already sold Kevin on a copy. <laughs> yeah. Is that because Kevin has a man crush? No, uh, I think. Oh, Kang Ho, yeah, I got man crush. <laughs> who who doesn't? That's why we're all going to go see Thirst. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it'd be those. Uh, but you know, there are some really great Blu-rays available that I, I would definitely tell people to pick up. Um, even though you've only told me to pick two, I, I will I will quickly scream Chunking Express, the Criterion version. Um, really great. Hmm. And Quentin Tarantino does not appear in the beginning. We will be thankful for that. Yeah, um, uh, we should all be thankful for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right well that sounds good um we thank ross for those picks um that's gonna pretty much wrap things up for this episode ross if there are, is there there anything else um that you'd like to let listeners know about in terms of some of the work you're doing or ways in which they can keep up with some of your reviews or your blog pretty much everything i do is at lovehkfilm.com so you know if people really want to uh, read what kozo is writing they can go there 
that's pretty much it. I, I have a Twitter account, but I do not do not do anything with it. So maybe one day, but not yet. All right. Well, we will definitely try to keep people posted if the Twitter account gets up and running. Um, Kevin, uh, how can people get in touch with you or follow you if they'd like to keep up with you and your blog? Has your blog been updated, Kevin? Yes, I did update it with a nice little post for Thank the you. UA. Finally. No, no. And then I'll do one about the um, Asian Film Festival and, of course, uh, the Hong Kong Asian Independent Film Festival. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter, uh, The Golden Rock, one word, or you can try and stalk me over the next two weeks at either Broadway Cinematheque, the IFC, or the Palace APM in Hong Kong. Yeah, just you're look not going to BC? Oh, yeah, huh? yeah, you're going to BC. Sorry, you said Cinematheque. Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, just look for the young kids sleeping out on the steps um, with a sign that says, we'll work for movies. And oh, no, don't worry. I'll wait till we get into the theater to sleep. And once again, if you want to kick his ass, now's your chance because <laughs> you'll be easy to find. <laughs> and as always, if you want to keep up to date with what's going on with the show or the site, you can visit us at www.congcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T. And we will be back, hopefully, with some some more updates about the HKAFF, but uh, the schedule may be, be a little bit tight uh, in the next couple of weeks because of all the screenings and things that are going on. So I'm not sure if we'll be recording exactly on schedule, but we will try to be back sometime next week with a show and to talk about Herman Yao's other film, uh, Rebellion, as well as anything else that's going on in local cinema and Asian cinema and world cinema. So until next time, as I said, we will wish you good viewing and we will see you then. See you next time and see you at the movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I look forward to it. I, I will go. I will be there. So, um, so, yeah, you know, if you go too, you can kick my ass. <laughs> you can find me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I still don't get what the big deal about her is, though. So Sorry. that's all right. <laughs> um, we'll we'll just have an extra. Damn you, Kozo! <laughs> really, I'm really sorry about. <laughs>